welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Welcome to the latest episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, my guest returning for her second visit is Brie Groff, um, partner at SYP, Stony Yamashita Partners. Um, and I would say we had a fantastic and fascinating conversation the last time, which was pre all of the pandemic stuff, Brie, about um, change and your passion for change and your expertise in change and how how change manifests itself and how you get people to think about it. And it was, it was a wonderful conversation. That was several months and episodes ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, so could you, it's going to be, be a little repeat. Could you um, do a little uh, reminder of your resume? It's like the, the 60 second resume. Um, sure. Uh, taking everyone through how you got to where you are now. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm very glad to be back for uh, another chat with you. And uh, yes, 60 second resume. Uh, Let's see, I grew up in Chicago. I had my very first job was teaching. I taught math and physics at the high school level. I became super interested in how the teachers uh, would learn and grow their own professional careers. I got interested in innovation and education so interested in innovation and growth in the workplace that I popped out of education and over to consulting. And so I've had roles in innovation consulting. I was previously the CEO of an organizational design and change consultancy. And now love working at SY Partners where we do um, really transformation, visioning, transformation, enablement, culture change, mindsets, and behavior shifts at scale for some of the world's uh, really most like iconic, um, really impactful companies. So that's what I'm up to today. Cool. So um, one of my conversations episodes, um, I think was towards the end of last year was with Charlotte Smith, who's the CEO of the talent business. And she's somebody who's looking for change agents. You know, she calls them, Mm. you know, leading marketers, C-level marketers. And she says, you know, there's never been as big a demand as there is now for people who know how to change, make the changes that organizations need to survive. Um, so I think, I think what I was interested in, in talking to you about a little bit was the notion that when we talked before, it was kind of business as usual, you know, you, SWP was doing what it's always done and always done excellently. Um, but there wasn't this thing called the pandemic and Mm -hmm. we weren't all in our homes talking over zoom and there has been this acceleration of the need to change 
or the need to mobilize, the need to do so many things for organizations. that The one thing companies can't do is seemingly stand still right, right now. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to start by saying, you know, what has this experience been like in the, you know, since uh, it's pretty much been a year? Um, yeah. And um, what are you noticing? Are the reports true that we're <laughs> hearing as you as you're working on the, as you're working on the front lines is it is it a reality that you're facing and and um you know what, what is that experience just uh, at a high level right now yeah i mean the the past year has been horrific and gorgeous in all sorts of different facets for different reasons i won't go into the horrible ones those are pretty obvious uh, the really gorgeous changes that have come, I think, in the last year are like the ways in which it it's like every everything that we thought um, was true because it had always been true before was revealed to us that it doesn't have to be that way. And so normally, it's one person in an organization saying like, well, why don't we do it this way? Or maybe it doesn't have to be that way. And instead of a person, this time it was a pandemic. And so what we've seen is that the pandemic has been, it's been a great revealer and a great accelerator. So by that, I mean like a great revealer in that the companies that have fared really well are the ones that have really held true to their values um, who just like really have a really strong foundation, strong core about what we value, um, not just like in the good times, but also in the hard times. So I take Target as an example. They obviously have a ton of physical locations that they've needed to keep open and the emphasis that they've put on the health and well-being of their team members and their guests, um, the bonuses that they've given out uh, in this time are just remarkable. Um like it's really revealed for them, like how much they value their people in this time. And I mean, I will say it's, it's a bit easier for them because they're doing, they've been doing really great through all of this time financially. And so certainly there's some companies that are struggling for many valid reasons, but I've just loved to see the companies who, when faced with this you know, what we call COVID or the calls of for racial justice, that they really double down on their values. I think that's been great. And so it's in many ways, it's revealed to what degree companies really like talk or walk the talk of their values. And I also call it a great accelerator because um, they're, the things that you do hear this phrase all the time, like we did in six weeks, so it would have taken us a year. I've heard, I've heard that 10,000 times um, in a dozen different companies. And the pandemic is an accelerator because there's sometimes just no other choice. Like you, you're going to get this done and solve the problem, or there's going to be a catastrophe, or you're going to miss the moment, or it, like there's, it's just created a sense of need. And, um, you know, what I, what I really love about that is the notion of what's safe to do or safe to try in a business, I think has really expanded 
in this time. So whereas normally you might've taken like three months to put forth your, your strategy for next year and you get all the data and the numbers and like, it, it feels like very unwise and unsafe to just like whip together a plan or a strategy. Like, no, 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 the, the right thing, the smart thing to do is to like really take your time and think it through. And like, um, the pandemic just didn't afford companies that time to make those shifts. And I think it taught a lot of companies that it's not only is it safe to move faster and to take risks, but actually that that like that's a really really good thing for your company. And um, and so I think it's like uh, in some ways it's like increasing the speed on a treadmill and then realizing like oh I can run this fast. Cool. Okay. Good to know. So so. Let's go back to your, your your point earlier where you you were talking about the companies with the compasses, with the North Stars, with the values, have a blueprint. Um, so it seems like you've kind of got, um, even, even for those companies, they've sort of got to, there are still decisions to be made. Even if you have a blueprint, it doesn't, it doesn't tell you the plan. It tells you, kind of, it guides you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sort of make prioritizations, and it's not the answer. It's helpful. And then you've got the people who are completely rudderless, who said, "Oh, damn, what's this? Thing <laughs> what was this thing called? Purpose and having a brand that we were supposed to do that a year ago? We never got around to it. So they're mm-hmm. completely, they're completely up the creek. Um, so." Everyone sort of needs help, right? There's the people who haven't got anything on a piece of paper. And then there's the people who have got things on a piece of paper who are like, well, how do we prioritize? How, how do we activate? Um, so everyone needs some kind of help. Is, is, is that a, mm-hmm. the truth? Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, every, um, yes, everybody's making it up. Nobody's done a pandemic before. Mm-hmm. Um, at least today. maybe not since what 1918 or whatever. <laughs> no, you know, none, none of us were around then. So Most CEOs are from the previous pandemic are still alive. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, yeah, we're all just making it up. Everybody needs help and support and guidance and coaching. And um, you know, we're really fortunate at SYP. I think we've like what we can offer our clients and the world has been only more in demand. Um, I think, you know, any sort of like executive coaches, I'm sure are in high demand these days too, or leaders are saying, oh, what do I do? How do we move through this? You know, many feel alone. Many feel, many feel like they're making it up, but they shouldn't feel like they're making it up. Um, That's their, you know, their experience. And uh, yes, everybody needs some support. And, you know, in fact, what we've started doing at at SYB2 is gathering some some like minds and, or actually maybe, uh, maybe distinct minds, but in similar roles. Like we, we had a CHRO gathering mm-hmm. the other week, just bringing together CHROs of, you know, very different companies, but all facing many of the same challenges and just giving people time to be like, Oh God, this is hard. It is lonely. I don't know what I'm doing. It feels mm-hmm. like I'm making it up. Should it feel that way? What are you doing? What are you seeing? Like people, I think, are just craving that more and more so that it doesn't feel quite so, um, I guess, the word is lonely. Yeah. Yeah, And also, you know, just you want to know you're on the right track and you want some some validation probably for the things you're doing. Um, 
yeah, it seems it's it's interesting, you know, how um, what I called sort of a a people centricity, you know, it's it sort of it starts, you know, the pandemic affects people. It's a human thing. Um, so you you sort of have to look at your your sort of people chain, you know, from the inside to outside. Um, Mm-hmm. And, and and you know see you know who who needs to be helped um, and where the impacts are being felt greatest and what kinds of things you can be doing to alleviate those impacts. Um, so it seems like you the needs to I mean it's another kind of cliche, but there's a new there needs to be a new sense of empathy. Empathy mm-hmm. is one of the the key words that you're hearing right now, the, the, the kind of the soulless, heartless bosses, um, you know, dictatorial, autocratic, not going to work so well right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, like if we've learned anything, it's an individual human or in maybe in business case, employees experience is very much you know, the, the, what's beneath the surface of the tip of the iceberg, you know, people show up to work and people, you know, we've seen this throughout the pandemic, you know, they, for the most part, try and put on a nice shirt, you know, regardless of what kind of pajama pants they're wearing, yeah. you know, you like show up and do your jobs. But, uh, you know, more than ever, we have no idea if people have lost loved ones, are losing loved ones to the pandemic, if they have family members who have been laid off, um, if, uh, you know, they are grappling personally with issues of like racial justice and what they do and what it means and, um, or any of the other things that are going on in the world, like elections or like the, the degradation of our environment or like any of the, the other hundreds of very worthy things to worry about out in the world. And, you know, where it's, you know, it strikes me too, like the, the amount that employees feel comfortable bringing their humanity to work or the amount that they don't mm. uh, can really have an effect on like their sense of well-being. And, you know, I think about even like down to the, there's like those big issues, of course, but I think too about on Zoom when people uh, turn their cameras off when they're eating this is happens very frequently. And there's one part of it, I've done it too, which is like, oh, that's considerate. You know, like other people don't need to watch me stuff my face with nachos or whatever I've made. But there's another part of me that thinks like we, our instinct is to hide our humanity when it doesn't feel relevant. Or like, and I've done the same thing too. I've turned off my camera when my daughter comes like dashing in the room in the background or like, my husband's rummaging for something in the room. Like, it just feels like, oh, you don't you need to see that. It's not professional, mm-hmm. but, but that, that's like, that's all the human parts of me. The fact that I have a family and I eat food for lunch. Yep. And, um, you know, it's, I think it can just be so important for leaders to be able to invite that humanity, to make that normal. Uh, because if, you know, if you can't be a human, <laughs> And, you know, where you're spending a lion's share of your day, then like that is, it's hard enough going through all of everything we're going through. Like it's even harder to pretend everything's okay. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. I mean, I think that, you know, um, 
it just the fact is that prior to this everything was very controlled you know people wore certain things because they wanted to say you know there were signals there was there were structures the meetings were held in specific rooms because those meetings connoted something the ceo sat in a particular part of the building you know there were lots of codes and mm-hmm. and, and you know it the, the the codes had significant meanings and the the basic idea was sort of to control the humanity you know mm-hmm. to filter to filter the humanity to put a corporate face on everything that that means that people sort of humanity is hidden mm-hmm. um, and suddenly that's all sort of stripped away and the ceo is down in his man cave with his guitars and you know someone else is at their beach house and you know and so kind of you it does you, you can't go back can you really you know yeah mm-hmm. once you've seen the ceo's guitar collection once his little daughter's run in the room it suddenly presents a new face you know um yeah. that wouldn't have been visible mm-hmm. oh it's yeah and it's so much better i mean i prefer it that i've heard all of the just arguments and uh, there's the um, bring your full self to work. And then there's like, no, don't bring your full self to work. Like that's exhausting. And what about for the introverts? And like, do you need to share everything about yourself? And like, there's uh, just so many different takes on the matter. And mine is like, you should share what you want to share. Like, I love, love feeling connected to knowing things about the people on my teams. Like that's what makes it fun for me. Maybe it's not fun for everybody, but like, I, I love that seeing people's dogs and kids and it's just, it's fulfilling. And, you know, I, I think what's God, how many, I think what's great about the pandemic, I was going to say, which just sounded like a weird phrase to say, but anyway, I'll just like get on with it. What's great about, um, what's been possible in the last year is not so much that everybody is going to live in sweatpants and on Zoom, um, you know, the rest of their working lives. It's that now the people who, for whom that works, now that is possible. And so I don't doubt that a lot of people will want to go back to the office, the people who thrive on having uh, you know, others around, the people who like taking notes on a whiteboard standing and jamming with other people. Like I, I don't think that's all going to go away. I, I don't think that it's like, oh, this is much better now, us all in our own little screens across the world. I think the takeaway is that it's better for some and it's not better for others. And and it's just now there's there's many ways to show up and be a leader and not not all of them have to be sitting at the head of the boardroom table. Now it can be like, you know, asking an interesting question over Zoom. And um, there's just a lot more. um, It's just opened up the possibilities a lot more, which I think is just always is always good because people need to design their lives and their their work lives differently. Yeah, I mean, I think do you think it's forced people to consider that Perhaps, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing that the that, that work is everywhere. The sort of the days, 
you know, run into each other. And there's a whole, the separation between the two is harder than ever. Mm -hmm. um, there are, you know, there is no commute. There isn't, there are no sort of distinct beats that yep. separate out the work life from the personal life. They sort of intermingle. And, um, you know, I think, I think that's interesting. You know, it means that it's kind of hard. There's a lot of, there's two jobs to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people are having a, you know, having a, a tough time with that. But I think in reflection, I, I think a lot of people have felt that everything that they've gained from spending time at home was something they'd lost previously, that they mm -hmm. just didn't have. You know, it was, it was, I mean, for these high powered executives, it's kind of an all or nothing uh, compromise, right? I mean, you're, you're ex ex extremely well compensated, but the expectations are that you give everything. And, um, and I think some people may have realized that um, this is what I've left behind, you know, you know, by, by spending time at home. Um, by spending time with their families, they might, there's a kind of a reappraisal of the priorities and what's important. Yeah. And I think companies are going to, I don't, I think that's going to be a hard, you know, I think, I think employees are going to look for, alt, uh, for alternate forms of compensation. Mm. I, don't, I don't think it's all about money. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's it's interesting. We're already seeing some of what companies' plans are for a return to the office or a return to the office-ish kind of plan. And um, I like I am already like thinking about what like what would like like what would I personally want life to look like? What would our family want our life to look like? Um, there's of course the question too of like how do you design that as a like if you're leading the company, if you're designing what those plans are, how do you design for that with everybody's preferences in, in mind? I think it's it's really tricky. I mean, just speaking for myself, like I I would love to spend nine months in the office and three months living in like Portugal, working remotely mm -hmm. and like having the summers there. Like that sounds like a dream. I don't know how we'd afford that really or like what we would do with our part. Like there's all sorts of things to figure out, but, um, but that's what would work for me. There's other people I know who would like, I, I know personally who just want to be in the office every day. They miss it. They liked it. Like they're just that kind of people. Mm -hmm. There's other people who just never want to come back. Um, you know, we're thinking too at SYP, like how, um, and then there's the like, well, let's just let everybody do what they want to do. And like, that's a, you know, from a employer brand or recruitment standpoint, that sounds great. Like work however you want to work, you know? Uh, but then it's the question of how effective are hybrid teams and like, how are you designing for if there's a few people in the office and a few people not in the office, like that kind of sucks for other reasons or, you know, like the people out of the office, maybe they miss some conversations. You can never just chat with people. You always have to get in a conference or it's, and so it's, I think going to be a process of uh, we try it out <laughs> and, and yeah, which is hard. Yeah, it's very interesting that now we're sort of, if we're all on the same footing, we're all on the same footing. But when you sort of change it, 
and suddenly, as you said, some people are spending 70% of their time in the office and 30% of the time at home. And some people are spending 100% of their time at home. Well, now what am I missing out on? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there will be something to miss out on. And now there isn't. Now there's just everyone's in the same yeah. soup. Um, but when it changes, um, and I think, you know, of course, this fa- <laughs> This friend of mine was doing, was working for a client out in Taiwan. And um, I remember him saying he flew out there to meet the client. The client was uh, saying, oh, we're going to be working uh, in the office till late. Well, how late? What time should we have dinner? Oh, probably about 11. (laughs) Well, Well, why are you in the office till 11? Well, Everyone's in the office till 11. Well, why don't you just come in early and do the work early? Well, no one's there. So no one would see us. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. You know, which is a really interesting, you know, like just the psychology of, of being seen um, yeah. and on all, all, all that stuff that suddenly looms back on the horizon because now there are people back, you know, there are people back in the office and, why didn't you come back? And, you know, so it's going to be very, very interesting. And, um, you know, we also, you know, we talked prior about this idea of what's the office actually become? You know, if it's just a place where people do the same things that they do at home, work-wise, what's the point of it? I can, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you, you know, you and I work in these businesses where, you know, collaboration is a key part of, Creativity and collaboration are a great part of what we do. It tends to be very effective when it's physical, when you are putting things on the wall or writing things. Very hard to replace that in a virtual, not impossible, but very hard. Mm-hmm. So do our workspaces, are we really designing interesting spaces where we really want to come in and collaborate? Because it's just, it's just cooler than it's ever been. You know, it's more fun. Mm-hmm. I think those are going to be very interesting. And I, I remember the beginning listening to um, the photo editor of the, the, the New York Times magazine saying, I can't do my job because we have this massive studio space where we assemble the magazine literally physically over time, over the course of the week. And if you haven't got that thing hanging on the wall and you're not seeing how it flows together um, and walking around it, you know, it's, a, it's not the same. Um, so I think, yeah. I, I, I think those, um, those physical experiences um, that we do as in, in our teams, but we also introduce clients to, um, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's going to be really interesting to see how we showcase what we do and collaborate uh, together on, on what we do. Yeah. Um, because yeah. the expectation is that um, this is the funnest, most interesting part of the job. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, that collaboration part it is tricky we've 
And one of my teams now, we've just started using this software called Discord, which is, I think, similar to these. There's a lot out there now, these like simultaneous audio platforms where essentially like people just sort of hang out in one virtual space and you can turn your microphone on and off. And it's meant to simulate more like just hanging out all day. Um, and that's, I mean, it's getting taken a little getting used to, but it's a good, I've been trying that out. We've been um, trying Miro as well as a collaboration tool. Obviously there's Slack and Zoom meetings, you know, we're mm. trying lots of stuff to try and replicate that feeling of being all together. Uh, but I am super excited about the day where people could, you know, where we can be back in person. Like, I, And I agree with you that now, hopefully, we'll just have, we'll be able to put more intentionality and more a direct, um, like it gives more purpose to where we are spending our time and how we are spending our time, a bit more of a direct relationship between those two things. So whereas before it was we spend our time in the office because that's what someone told us to and what we do there, you know, that could be anything from talking to somebody or just like hunker down at your desk or in a corner or it could be anything. And I do think it would, it's interesting now to be more flexible and intentional about if I need heads down time, then maybe I do want to be at home or maybe definitely not at home if you have kids running around in the background. Yeah. You know, it's... um it gives an opportunity for, for just for that kind of thoughtfulness. And, um, but what I really hope though, I've been thinking a lot about honestly, just feeling like, a, like a brain in a vat these days on my computer screen. Like my, it's like my body's irrelevant. You know, I basically, I always think we're like, we're just like one step away from getting VR goggles and putting our zoom meetings in there. We're just one step away from, living in the matrix where you like put your goggles on in the morning, do nine hours of zoom meetings, take them off at night and go back to, you know, being a three dimensional human. <laughs> and I'm like, really in, in like, I, it's like, I just, I joke about that, but it's like, it's actually what it feels like. I open this little thing and then I like plug into it and then I plug out and like, it's just, it's just going to feel nice to like, have a body <laughs> again, like to be able to like, if I'm standing up at a whiteboard, mm -hmm. like jump up and down, if I'm excited about an idea, it's going to feel nice to high five somebody. Um, it's going to feel nice to like there, and maybe this is just me. I'm like, move mm -hmm. around a lot at work, but just like sit on the floor and we're like really yeah. think something through with the team and like, just to be able to like move and interact, um, see people's eye contact. Like that was something we definitely lost. Like, I don't know who's looking at me on a zoom versus somebody else. Like you just can't, you, know, you just can't tell. Um, but I think, um, it's just that, like that physicality that like, we're just so very in our heads yeah, um, and, and just not like em embodied humans. I'm just very excited to like, take my brain in a vat, like for all I feel like today and put it back in like the, the body of a human who needs to do things like eat lunch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's really, that's really interesting. The, 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 the power we have to communicate beyond the, the um, limitations of zoom, you know, they just, there's so much we have, you know, that's uh, that we use to communicate that we use to, to share with other people our feelings and uh we are we're sort of one one dimensional 
I want to go back to, um, you know, how how people are, what are the issues that people are thinking about? You, you talked about diversity. You talked about the environment. Um, are, the, are these genuine? Do you think? Do you think this is the time? This is the what? Are we reflecting? Are we? If we're going to make change, we've got to make sweeping change. You know. In, in I guess I guess we acknowledge at the beginning there was lack of understanding of what we were dealing with mm-hmm. um and there was a sort of a learning curve that we had to go along that we didn't at the time know we didn't know our trajectory we didn't know how long vaccines would take they could have we've been talking last february it could have been a five-year plan to get to a vaccine we didn't know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there were so many unknowns and as over time, those unknowns became knowns. Um, and I wonder how that impacts. And then you sort of got a change process where um, what was once impossible is now possible because you managed to adapt in an agile way to solve a problem. And now people can pull up in the parking lot of a target and someone will bring their groceries to them that they could never have done before or whatever it is, whatever innovation that you accelerated has been done and is off the checklist. So um, we sort of, we still have things on the list is what I'm saying. Mm. Uh, And I wondered what those things might be Uh, because we've sort of, we've sort of, I'm not saying we've dealt with the pandemic. It's become a more of a known. Yeah. Um, but those other things still are critical. Um, yeah. And, you know, um, the diversity issue, a corporate social responsibility, um, all those things seem to be important as well. And I, and I think, and I think maybe one of the things that's interesting there, and I think you sort of said it indirectly is, if if we fast tracked our way through that stuff, why can't we fast track our way through this? Mm. You know, we've shown that we have a capability to deal with challenges, um, and we should be able to adopt that line of thinking to solve these other challenges that we face, and, and maybe they've got different timelines on them, but they're still challenges nonetheless. And, yeah. and, you know, one thing the pan, you know, the pandemic has exposed and has, has made, made us realize that um, there are a lot of weaknesses, you know, um, there've been some, you know, I don't know if you saw the, uh, I'm sure you did see it, but um I haven't dug into it, but there was a pretty interesting thing in the New York Times about moms. Oh, mm-hmm. The primal scream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Um, so, you know, just just the realization that um, people are on, different people are on the front lines and having to cope. Um, and, you know, what we thought at one point, might have been progressive has 
is it being pushed back the idea that you know women um exhilarating their way through management may not be happening now you know yeah so i think there's i think yeah. there's a lot of really interesting things to consider under the under the topic of change and and how and how you can keep those on the agenda and how you can keep people moving and motivated um mm -hmm. you know we've talking a lot about um diversity in the advertising industry um and 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 it's been an ongoing topic for a number of years but obviously been accelerated in in recent in recent times but the agency world's just terrible at long-term commitments they they don't they don't invest in r&d um you know they they don't, it's it's a it's um it's not understood how how to invest in change and that understand that that change is going to take time mm -hmm. um and when that um is realized i think people want to opt out you know they they find an excuse not to make a commitment um because they're not used to making long term commitments because this is a short it's a short term business that moves yeah on the vagaries of quarter to quarter but I, what i'm seeing is you know the more enlightened companies recognize that they've got to change and that they've got to put long term the stakes in the ground and that this is something they can't solve overnight and they need initiatives that are going to move them over time um, yeah so yeah you know, I think the good thing, um, like such, such good points. And in, like in any business, I think all, all businesses, I don't know, in the last year, like have gotten used to moving faster, being more agile, being more adaptive. Um, but as you mentioned, like a lot of the bigger issues in our world take time. So like, um, gender equity, uh, racial equity and justice, there's, um, like how we care for our planet, like all of these sort of longer term things, they do take real time and investment. Um, and they're things that we, you know, we didn't start working on today. <laughs> We've been working on a long time, but, you know, as you say, the, the pandemic, um, or, you know, like one man's murder, many men and women's murders, mm -hmm. like it in the past year, it just, it, it brings it to the forefront of society's mind and therefore business's mind. And I think the good thing, the thing that I feel hopeful about is that it's getting more embarrassing not to pay attention to these things in like a really, really good way. So a lot of companies, like if, like if you're, board, if your executive, if your leadership team is all white or all white men, like that's now an embarrassing thing. Like it's uh, like, that's, it's not, it's not normal in the way, um, in the way that it used to be. It's, it actually feels like, oh, you've got work to do. And I, maybe not, maybe that it's not everyone's opinion, but I think it's getting to be more and more people's opinion that that we're holding, I guess we society, I don't know, are holding businesses 
to a standard of actually living what they say their values are. So if you have, you know, on your corporate website, a value about DE&I, and yet you go to the company leadership page and it doesn't look like that, understanding there's many kinds of diversity that you can't just see on a page, but um, at a minimum, it companies I think are feeling either like we should do the right thing, like we should value DEI because it's the it's a good important thing to do. Um, and if they don't feel that, at least it's embarrassing. And same on an environmental impact. Like I think it's getting consumers are holding companies more and more accountable for like why are you sending me all this extra packaging and um, plastics and things that I'm going to throw away. And so, you know, if they're not taking care of the environment because it's a good thing to do, hopefully they're doing it because now people will balk at them if they don't. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that, that the good kind of peer pressure will, will help company, will put the same kind of pressure on companies to evolve quickly that the pandemic um, also did. That's really interesting. I think that's a kind of notion of like, there's a construct now, there's an expectation that reading the room, you know, that's a great phrase, you know, your values say one thing, and then you look at the boardroom, and it says another, you're clearly not reading the room. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in, in how far what what kind of um, other places we start to see and feel that. You know, the boardroom example is a great one. Um, there's some disconnects in the world that don't make sense. Uh, it's just the way that marketing works to uh, obliterate the negatives. So, you know, Amazon is taking over the world, um, <laughs> but there is a significant cost to that. Uh, the fact that you get your stuff shipped in next day or same day means that some people probably have to suffer to do that. They're working extraordinary long hours in really bad conditions. But that isn't exposed to you. You don't see a button. Mm -hmm. You don't see a button which says, um, I am prepared to get next day delivery, which will involve potential human rights. <laughs> yeah, that would be quite a button. I, yeah. would, I would stop pressing that button so much. You're yeah, right. yeah, exactly. So you don't, you don't, you know, there's a lot of like um, brilliant marketing that, that um, obscures the, the nasty reality of how sausages are made. Um, you know, and I think, I think over time, some of those things will just become more and more exposed that the, the curtain will be taken away. Um, and as you said, if you're not doing, if you're not seen to doing the right thing, you're doing the right thing. And I, I think we're seeing, we're starting to see that in a, in a lot of what um, Apple is doing now around privacy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and this becoming just a, you know, there are some, there are the companies that want to um, take your data for nefarious reasons. They're not quite explaining exactly why. Um, and you are engaged in a trade-off of they give you convenience in return for doing, selling your information ostensibly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one area that's certainly gonna become under scrutiny in, in the coming years. Um, 
but there will, there will, there will be others. And I think that's, um, that's that interesting idea of embarrassment um, because you seem to be as a company out of lockstep with where culture is and where the conversation is. You're not, it's the embarrassment is that you don't get it. Yeah. If, if you don't get that, what else are you getting wrong? And do I actually want to be around people who don't quite get it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Very interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I always liked the, uh, who is it? Seth Godin. Yes. His mm-hmm. quote of marketing quote, people like me do things like this is just like what marketing boils down to. Like you are just advertising like other people like you, mm-hmm. like our company, other people like you buy our products. And uh, it honestly resonates. Like there's lots of times where I will, or maybe this is, I don't know, it's embarrassing to admit, like I will choose shampoo because I like the branding. Like I, I'm like, oh, that's a really nice typeface. Like some people, they, they care about, you know, nice, uh, clean design yeah. like I do, which has nothing to do, of course, with like, I don't know, is the shampoo going to make my hair nice? I guess so. Um, maybe not. It's totally irrelevant. Um, but I, I do think there's, to, to tie it back, I do think people more and more are asking of companies, no matter if it's like a shampoo company or what, you know, whatever they're making, like, do people like me, meaning like people who believe in what I believe in, be it like, you know, fair work practices or the environment or DEI, like any of like people like me who believe in these things, um, do we buy from your company? Like, do we like your company? Does your company believe in the same things that I believe in? Um, the, you know, very, you know, conscious ways that people are spending their money now, I, more and more, I think companies need to, um, like, need to put their cards on the table of, like, what what do they believe in? It's um, It actually reminds me a little bit of um, Oatly. I always really liked their their marketing and branding on the side of an Oatly bottle, it will say, we promise to be a good company. Mm. And like, it's sort of like cheeky marketing, but like it really got me. I was like, oh, great. Like I, I do want to buy my alternative, like milk beverage from a company who's a good company. And I think a lot of people are asking themselves, you know, like cute marketing aside, but like, like fundamentally, like, is that true? Is that, um, we talk about sort of like purpose washing or like, are you showing up to try and be what you, you know, company thinks that consumers want them to be? Or are you, are you truly like a a decent, good company who I want to spend some of my money on? Mm, Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I I think that's, that's where things, that's where, that's where things seem to be heading. And I think it's also um, to do with generational leadership too. You know, when, when, a new generation comes into positions of leadership. I think they bring those values with them. Um, mm-hmm. And you see a sea change, you know, you see things that didn't matter to the previous generation of leadership suddenly matter. Um, and, you know, as, as you said, I think there's a visibility thing. People have conversations with each other and they see what others are doing. And then there's this, I think there's a really good um, Paul Polman, you know, ex Unilever CEO, who's now doing all this, a lot of work on his company, I think it's called Imagine. 
or something like that, environmental consultancy. And he, mm-hmm. he says, you know, look, I don't, I don't need every oil and gas CEO in the room. I need 15 of them. Mm. You know, and if I can change the minds of 15, I know, you know, they'll go out and change everyone else's mind, you know. And so I, I do think it's this idea that CEOs in the main, the change driven CEOs want to be part of a, a, a company of CEOs who are progressive and innovative. Mm-hmm. And, and there is, they, they know that there are things they can, they have to do to be considered that. Um, yeah. So I think, I think peer pressure, um, not as well as consumer pressure. Yeah. Are very powerful forces. Yeah. I always, I loved the Beth Comstock, I think it's Beth Comstock quote, be where the world is going. It's just always really, you know, if you can see the trend lines of what people are going to care more about, what's going to become more important, you know, be there. And, you know, the most recent example I've loved is the the GE rebrand of with the electric plug. It's just was such a bold move, like in no uncertain terms, like this is where we are going that I think probably you know, lit a fire under that even or so I read lit a fire under a lot of their competitors. Uh, and, you know, they saw, well, electric environmental uh, protections is the way the world is going. So we're going to go be there first, or I don't know, second after Tesla or third after, you know, where, um, you know, as, as the industry sort of shifts, mm-hmm. but I, I just think it's, in, it's important for, you know, and I not even important. I know um, because we work with them. Executives are having these conversations at the highest level of what should I like? Where is the world going? How do I get out ahead of it? What's important to people? Um, and and then you know, speaking, I guess where we started the conversation on change is how do I how do I help support, enable, inspire employees? and their hearts and minds to you know not only like get like get on the ride or like get on board but like actually to really drive that change yeah i think i think the, there's an interesting i think an interesting way of thinking about it that that actually if you're for the status quo you you are for things that that you're actually sticking your feet in the ground and saying you don't want to change which kind of means you're against those things. If I, I, it sounds a weird way of thinking about it, but but if if you're not for change, if you're not pro change, and you're not pro um, understanding these new values and these new ways of working and the importance of sustainability, you're against it because mm-hmm. you yeah. value you value too much of your legacy and there's too much value in being an incumbent. Um, And so you will be, people will snip around your heels like the upstart competitors. I think of banking as a classic example, you know. I mean, banking, they don't innovate from the consumer out. Every bank has the same products. I mean, you go and get a mortgage, if you want a mortgage in a bank in Maine or a, a mortgage in a, in a bank in New Mexico, it's the same damn product. The interest rate, rates may be different, but it's the same mortgage. 
But if you're a single mom or a retired person or someone who's 40 going back to college, there's no mortgage product, different mortgage product. It's like they, they are, they're all about the status quo. They're all about protecting their interests and keeping things the same. Yep. You know, I have, yes, if anyone is interested, I have a whole talk. There's a talk on my website where I outline um, it's the people aren't really afraid of change. They're, they're afraid of the loss associated with the change. And we defend the status quo because to move to something different means a loss of competence. Like you used to know how to work in the old world, a loss of familiarity, um, a loss of control, all of these things that the past is really um, good for. Mm-hmm. I should also say, not hiding my humanity, my daughter is like, she has speech ther- virtual speech therapy in the other room and she's like singing. And, and I don't know if anybody can hear this, but I figured I'd call it out that even on our like very um, uh, thoughtful and professional podcast, there is a five-year-old singing um, soprano in the other room, uh, if anyone can hear that. Right. <laughs> we hear it. Um, so just wanted to wrap up. Um, what excites you about the rest of the year? Hmm. What excites me about the rest of the year? Look <laughs> at my person. I didn't make it personal, but um, we've spent... The last part of last year in England, we spent the last two months in Jamaica. We um, gave up our apartment last year and just have been totally um, nomadic mm-hmm. since then. Sort of, if we're going to stay away from people, might as well do it by the beach. So um, I am personally excited about we're going to go back to New York. Um, and I'm excited. Well, here's where maybe I'm just like rosy eyed and optimistic, but I do feel optimistic about the pandemic and the, you know, the vaccine and all of that. Uh, I remember I have some internet meme or something. Somebody was like, you know, there's a reason why we called it the roaring twenties. And like, because that came after the 1918 pandemic and, you know, people talk about it, but I'm just hopeful it's true that there is, you know, not just in New York, but, you know, where around the world, like there's been so much loss and grief and like, I'm just excited for a bit of a renaissance, for a bit of like just appreciation for the hugs that you may get to, you know, have amongst friends or family. I I do think one of my clients had said to me, you know, like, I think the boomerang's coming back. Mm-hmm. You know, like we sort of like sent this boomerang off. I was like, oh, I don't know what's happening with the pen. But like, as you've pointed out, like there's more there's fewer unknowns. Um, there's, there's a lot more knowns now. And we, you know, if we just don't screw it up, um, which I'm afraid we will. Um, but like, if we just could keep people wearing masks and being safe, like I do think there's a shot at, um, at at this, this feeling of Renaissance of this feeling of, you know, our, our version of the roaring twenties and, and I mean that in every sense, you know, culturally, organizationally, personally, it's, um, you know, I have, I have some hope for it. Not that there's not a lot um, that comes before then, but well, I think that will be good. I think that's a great way to, to close it out with a, with a ray of light, some hope. Yeah. The roaring twenties. I think that's pretty good. 
And, you know, I also hope it's possible to still wear stretchy pants at work in the office. Like, I hope that stays. It's my personal <laughs> wish list. Yeah, I'm sure that I don't want to give them up. I, you know, geez. Ugh. So, but fingers crossed. Well, anyway, great having a conversation with you. Um, you too, Ed. And I hope you guys um, uh, assimilate safely from uh, from where you are to where you're heading. And um, really great to chat to you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Ed. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Speak soon. Speak soon. Bye. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.